You're listening to the Polygon Podcast. Our second episode is a conversation between the Polygon Gallery's director, Reed Shire, and Chef Dave Gunawan of Ubuntu Canteen. Be sure to click subscribe and enjoy. We began um, our conversations a few months ago in the lead up to the exhibition. We had planned at the Polygon um, this summer, a show called Feast for the Eyes. That show now is postponed, unfortunately, uh-huh. with the plan, though, that we're going we're gonna to exhibit it next summer. Um, so, you know, our conversation with you is going to continue over that time, and we're going to look forward to, you know, working together um, um, when the crisis is behind us, cross fingers. Um, so to set the table, so to speak, uh, the exhibition uh, is a as a really extraordinary survey of food as a subject of photography from the 19th century to today, and it you know includes uh, a huge uh, swath of artists, including Nan Golden, Martin Parr, Irving Penn, Ed Ruscha, Cindy Sherman, Stephen Shore, Wolfgang Tillmans, Andy Warhol, Ouija. Um, you know, fundamentally, almost every major artist that's picked up a camera over the last uh, 100, 150 years has at some point taken a picture of food. And how they have done that is, you know, the focus of the exhibition. And it, it, you know, among many things, it does a great job of showing the evolution of food as a subject, particularly, you know, through an idiom like the still life how that genre was taken up by early photographers, you know, kind of translated from painting and then adapted through commercial photography and then you know, utilized given prominence in cookbooks and advertising and then into the culture of TV cooking and celebrity chef shows. And now, you know, a kind of whole new pictorial culture of through social media and Instagram. So, you know, I think, you as a chef have a, a very fundamental understanding of the way and uh, kind of the importance of visual consumption um, and how uh, integral that is to our ideas of eating and to socialization. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. But I would, you know, before that, I'd really stress kind of fundamentally that the exhibition isn't about food so much as our very complex social relationships to it and with it. And many and I would say the majority of the images in the show depict people eating or interacting with food in some way. And that spurred the beginning of our thoughts uh, about collaborating with you and developing a series of programs or events in conjunction with the show. Um, you know, to my mind, the social aspect of food, of eating as a locus of community, how food is sourced, how it's produced, how it's shared has been a real growing concern for you and is reflected in your career as a chef. So um, is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I, I think we're, we're, we're in this generation of sort of this, um, have a very myopic view on food. I mean, a lot of people are, are very disconnected with, with the notion of, of where our food comes from. And I, I, I think even just the basic understanding of of food in general, you know, there, I mean, in, in many ancient culture, we have an understanding, we have a relationship um, with with food in, in a in a very, I guess, what you call spiritual context. 
um, I think in the in the sort of uh, Western society, we we kind of la- lack that um, connection, and which is one of the biggest peril of the uh, of this generation, really, not knowing where our food comes from and not having a relationship with food, and and also I, it becomes a very dangerous sort of uh, direction. Um, um, yeah, I. I when you say a dangerous direction, what uh, you mean the the disassociation of of people yeah. from where the food comes from? Is that exactly is that... exactly is it is the disassociation with the food, and and then in return has all this sort of uh, climatic um, catastrophe. You know, like not caring on how we we grow our food, not caring on how we we raise our animal. You know, not caring about the environmental impact. And then it's it's a it's a confluence of variables that lead to this disaster, if you will, if we don't really take care of it. Um, I think this this pandemic also brought up a lot of important points on on, on the food security, food distribution, and amongst all of that. Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited to work on this project with you because it, you know with photography there is a an aspect of capturing those the, the stillness of that generation and and allowing us to to uh, make that available to the public and and educate uh, the people of what had happened because we can only move on or or re innovate if we understand the course of history you know without mm. understanding history it's hard for us to re innovate something like I mean for example with this current pandemic with with we had to reconfigure our entire restaurant system. You know, never mind what I've learned in the last 15 years as a fine dining chef. Like all that has literally got cast aside, and my whole identity has, has been removed as, as as that fine dining cook. And so, what we've realized is that okay, what do people need right now, and and mm-hmm. how how do we accommodate? Um, the current um, situation and, and provide the basic necessity for our staff and for the people around us and also for the community, you know, and, and yeah, making it work on the supply chain and on the, from my farmers to my, all the way through the, the, the guests and, you know, us being in the middle of it all. Well, you, you've raised like a huge number of points that I'd like to try and explore, you know, hopefully one by one, but, you know, I guess maybe jumping almost to the end, it's like, you know, it's, it's provocative. You say that, you know, this is called into question your, your whole career as a, as a, as a chef, as a, as a fine dining, you know, uh, professional. Um, do you imagine this is a short term thing that we're going to come out of and return to some sort of normalcy? Or do you see this pandemic as fundamentally, I mean, maybe this is, premature to ask, but it's, I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about how this might change the restaurant. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it, for me, I mean, for me, I'm excited about, I mean, it's secretly, I'm, I'm sort of indulging in, in this uh, pandemic because it, it really allows us to reset our value. Um, yeah, I mean, with every tragedy, you know, even coming up from the most recent 2008 recession, it really shifted the way the dining culture uh, is being consumed. Um, you know, when I was cooking back in the days, 
you know, I started in 2003, 2004, so it was kind of like the, the peak of, of the economic boom. You know, oil was reaching 80, 90 to 100 dollars a barrel, and like people were spending lavishly, and and there was this uh, insane amount of opulence, right? Like, you know, you're paying four or five hundred dollars per meal, and and then came the 2008 recession, and 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 those 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 things, those extravagance were were diminished. I mean, there was still a lot of it. I mean, we, we still have a decent amount of, 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 of unequal wealth distribution. So there, I mean, the, but the, the, the middle class shrank. So we, didn't, we no longer see people spending quite as lavishly as they were. And so it shifted our model to, you know, uh, a little more direct, a little more honest. The, the, the idea of share plate becomes a, a very popular affair because there was this sort of uh, communal sort of dining mentality where you know if you perhaps if you make a little bit more money than than I do but we're still all eating together maybe we can share a meal and distribute that that sort of resources and so yeah the, all the share plate restaurant did really well for a few years and then like when the economy started going again we start seeing a lot more uh, this very exclusive restaurant coming back up again so yeah, it definitely shifted in, in, in according to our economic situation, and and us as restaurant too, we restaurant tour, we have to be very very adaptable and really understand uh, the economic market and and you know compliant to the needs of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think so with like, this. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so you know, when you started Farmers Apprentice, that was you know, I I I, I presume that. You're talking about shared plates and, and that kind of ethos that that was mm-hmm. kind of the philosophy behind that um, uh, that mutated into or or paired with grapes and soda the bar and then you moved to Royal Dinette and now um, now there's Ubuntu on Fraser Street so I, I I just I'm curious to hear you track the evolution of that thinking through those those restaurants like what did it take t- for you to to start the restaurant and then I guess why why did you leave one behind and start the next uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear the evolution of, of your your career through the restaurants that you've been at the helm of yeah so let's let's start with the, the idea of farmers apprentice and where you came from so I was I, I, I was running West restaurant on Granville and 13 you know it was regarded one of the finer dining establishment in the city and it was really catering to the very top 5%, perhaps, of the other population. But I got really stagnant there, you know, because, I, first of all, I, I wasn't, as, as a chef, I wasn't learning anything, and I felt very uh, inadequate to a certain degree. I just took the job because it, the, the wage was very appealing, and I, I wanted to use that as a platform to go abroad. And so I, I stayed for a couple of years, saved up enough money, and I went to, uh, I went to, to Europe, so I I worked around in Belgium, uh, went around in Spain, uh, stayed a, f- a few months in, in in Copenhagen. You know, as you know, it's probably one of the most celebrated city in, in terms of dining culture right now. So yeah, just a curiosity, curiosity kind of led me there, and and work in a few restaurants there, and really learn how to establish a, a, an identity for myself because a lot of the restaurants, you know, like. Uh, um, exploring the territory of, of, of their own identity, especially in Nordic region. You know, nobody really speak about Nordic 
food and back in the day. So at the beginning of, of Discovery for me, it was also the beginning of Noma and all this restaurant that, you know, we revered it today. Um, so I wanted to explore that sort of option and how can I, how can I create my own identity? But I don't think Vancouver was, was ready for that sort of movement yet. And we didn't have the audience. We didn't have the, the travelers. We didn't have the intellectual uh, capacity to understand that sort of food that, that really defines uh, the notion of time and place. Time and mm -hmm. place meaning, you know, when you eat at a restaurant, you know exactly where you are. You know exactly what season it is. So it's, it's, it's a very kind of connectedness within, within the, the time frame. So it was very unique at that time. And of course, with, with, with that in mind, the, the byproduct is that you have to, to use hyper-local ingredient. You have to, to dig into your own history. You have to dig into the environment and seeing what people ate before, you know, to, just to explore more ingredients and, and more knowledge and diversity. So I opened Farmer's Apprentice. I knew like that wasn't going to fly what I was wanting to do. So we started off in you know very simple soup and sandwiches and and very very simple affordable food and eventually you know um, the the ambition of the restaurant kind of exceeded my own ambition uh, with the people that I hired as well they kind of took it to the next level and we just kind of grew um, with the people with my team and I just kind of let them take it to wherever they they. They kind of want to want to go, and eventually it became a, a tasting menu only restaurant. So it took a few years to 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 establish that for ourselves, and like also gain the trust of the people. Um, but our ethos has always been the same, you know. Anything that is within the confine of sustainability and within the confine of of local and organic and all that stuff. And yeah, we 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 were one of the first restaurant to have. Uh, a natural wine list because it wasn't really taken into consideration uh, within most restaurant spaces. You know, like organic food has to be accommodated, uh, uh, has to be accompanied by um, organic wine as well. Like, but people mm -hmm. never thought of wine or viticulture as as something that could be sustainable. You know, I mean, there's so many chemicals that goes into winemaking and into growing grapes, but we don't really consider that as part of our uh, agricultural practices. Yeah. And then, yeah, they became, it became what it was. And I got a bit bored because at that point we've, we've reached a certain point of, of, of accomplishment and then that it became maintenance after that. There was no room for innovation. So open grapes and soda, um, also not because I want to, but we have an amazing staff and we have an amazing bartender who who kind of have nowhere to go. So we we did that we did that for him, and it became a very popular place, of course. So I always believe in 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 providing the space for for people to really flourish. I mean, you know, I I no longer be want to work in that manner. For me, is more about the mentorship and providing. A certain amount of resources within my my limit limitation and allowing people to to kind of uh be who they who they want to be you know within the constraint of our, our resources so yeah the, and the grapes and soda took off I mean, it's quite amazing when we started off farmers of france we have you know literally two or three electric burners that we plug in and we didn't even have a proper kitchen 
and and same with Greenwood Soda. We had two portable burner and a small oven. Um, but yeah, I think as we 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 dig and in, dig into the constraint, we we kind of explore a whole different world, right? It's not about the limitation, but about what we can do within this this limitation. And also, like I think the saturation of of immediacy compels us to to um, to to create and to be more creative. You know. So it's interesting because I, you know, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, well, maybe there, maybe there are other examples, but I can't think of many restaurateurs who leave things that are, are thriving and successful and move on to new ventures and kind of leave them behind. I mean, I, I like the way that you're talking about these things as, as, as you know, opportunities for mentorship. But it, it, it kind of begs the question of what, uh, led you finally to Ubuntu on Fraser Street. What kind of opportunities you feel you have there that maybe are more sustainable? I mean, do you yeah. imagine Ubuntu being a platform that you run out of steam on, or is it going to provide you the kind of creative platform that's going to allow you to to flourish in the way that you're talking about? <laughs> well, I think how I got to Ubuntu, it took a lot of of, of soul searching. You know, I mean, I mean, long story short, I, I was I didn't really understand uh, my psychodynamics in, in terms of, of how I compose my desire and where this desire comes from. Uh, I had no idea uh, how my internal mechanism worked, you know, without being really aware. So, I mean, I, I, it took a lot of um, personal therapy and then within, with, you know, uh, of seeing someone, of seeing shamans, and, and working a lot of psychedelics to to really, uh, <laughs> uh, what is to, to to really understand my a lot of where my emotions come from. You know, a lot of it is really like childhood trauma, really. So I, I was, I was, I mean, I, I I was kind of tricking my mind and telling my mind a different story. And, Can I come in? Yeah, and. Through those work, I was able to see um, my role in, 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 in this sort of restaurant world supposed to be and how I could really find peace within that and also like resigning to really the life's purpose. So with Ubuntu, um, it was a very uh, uncanny situation. I wasn't really looking for any space. I was, I was quite comfortable with farmers' apprentices and grapes and soda. I was providing my needs. I was providing financially. But I wasn't really happy, I guess. I wasn't content. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was still working the 10, 12 hour days, you know, and, and, uh, and so I got tired of it. And also the arrival of my son, it makes a huge difference in my life as well. So I, re I realized that those are the things that I don't want, but I don't really know where I want to go either. So I, I was focusing more on the idea of how I want to feel in life. Mm -hmm. And so Ubuntu is just really an extension of, of, um, of my needs, you know, and, and providing that needs for other people who might have the same needs as I do. And, and so came the, 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 the space, you know, like having access to, to, to children, uh, you know, giving, you know, simple food to family and, and, you know, offering really high quality ingredient at a much lower price point, you know, I don't know. I think it's, it's a pretty unique 
the space. I mean, it took a little while to get to to, to make it work financially, but mm-hmm. it also took a lot of trust, right? I, I've never done anything like it, and I've never seen a business model that's sort of based around this sort of value. You know, there's a lot of intangible success, but nothing really quite <laughs> tangible uh, in terms of the monetary um, uh, accomplishment. So yeah, um, uh, we yeah yeah go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, our main point with Ubuntu is really you know take care of our own staff or take care of our community and hopefully the rest will come right so that that was the 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 mantra really so there's you know that's super interesting i mean there's there there's uh what's what what i kind of i kind of sense as a as a, a as a concentric focus that's becoming more and more around a, a a a smaller circumference um, both with the food, with community, with you know, your needs, with your family. Um, and with that focus seems to come a little bit more a sense of identity or, or, or at least um, sense of vision. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to hear you talk more about, you know, the restaurant industry here, like the whole development of, you know, quote unquote, the locafor you know, ethos, the idea of farm to table, the idea of creating a, a local economy, which I think is kind of fundamental to what you're talking about. And it is even more urgent now that uh, we imagine, you know, what the, what the pandemic is going to do near and long term with, with, with uh, supply chains, as you mentioned earlier about, you know, where is food going to come from? How are how are these long supply chains, this transportation industry, this huge reliance on on big farm, big agricultural you know outfits in Southern California and Mexico, their reliance on mar- migrant labor? I mean, there's a certain economy that has developed as a result of that. I mean, we get food or have been getting food fairly cheaply. And it's provided a lot of opportunity for a lot of people around the world. And, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of like the idea of capitalism at work, right? I mean, this is the, the really the prime example of, of, of our, the nature of the economy with the neoliberals and the, the capitalistic uh, agenda. Uh, how can we produce food in, in, in such a way that is profitable and this, uh, most efficient uh, and the most cost effective so one of the pr- biggest problems with with us human is that we once we begin to commodify food then it loses its, its, its meaning right it loses its soul it loses its, its spirit you know um once you put a monetary value on something then it becomes it becomes pointless really it becomes an object that you can trade and and export and that so yeah, that, that is one of the biggest flaw, I guess, in this sort of modern world. Um, well, certainly, I mean, there's there's going to be a, a growing tension, if not already, between you know the, yeah. where food comes from, the you know the sustainability of it, um, and the cost. I mean, yeah, you know, I I love to shop at farmers markets here in town. Yeah, yeah, I'm 
paying an absolute premium. I mean, you can buy a mm -hmm. tomato for like $10 at those, you know, so mm -hmm. how do we cultivate and nurture a local economy at the same time as providing food that's economical? I mean, we're going to go into what is likely going to be a very hard time coming up. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, politics definitely is a big factor in it. You know, once we stop subsidizing big companies and subsidizing big agricultural farms and, you know, subsidizing our, our, our feedlots and, you know, subsidizing our milk, you know, then, then we, ha we actually become aware of the true value of food, you know. But unfortunately, that's not the case with, with, with NAFTA coming in to play and affecting our, our food supply, you know. We no longer have a choice, and and I think what we need to talk about is food sovereignty. You know, really giving back the power of food distribution to the people who actually grow the food, mm -hmm. and not not allow uh, corporation to to take over our food supply. Um, well, that is one one maybe a first step. Well, presumably you're you're working with a lot of local producers and suppliers. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. what what are Maybe could you give us an example of you know one thing that you feel is is successful um, in um, one relationship that you've built that maybe is is helping to sustain that model or grow it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still you know I'm not an expert in, in in finance, but you know what we do by supporting the local farm is that we ensure uh, our our supply for the future you know, mm -hmm. by encouraging farmers to grow things for us. And also like ability to, to really control uh, the quality that we get in the restaurant by working really closely with the farmers. And, and you know, when you build a relationship, you, you build a certain level of trust and you, 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 you have conversations, you have dialogues, and we, we, we kind of are able to grow together in terms of what I need from the, from the restaurant perspective and what they need from the farming perspective. Because sometimes these, these worlds don't necessarily collide. So mm -hmm. by, by actually uh, having this sort of uh, transaction, not in, a, not in a monetary sense, but like a, a relationship transaction, we actually are learning from each other. It's like, hey, you know, I, I don't, this leaks grown like this unnecessarily working out for us because various reasons and they're like oh okay yeah we can adjust that it just says the little tweaks that they can do for us and then with a with the little adjustment of feedback that we, we sort of uh, exchange we can make things work for both of us you know in this mm -hmm. sort of economy I mean we're still constrained by by the economic system that's why I think it's interesting with this pandemic because we, we, we now have the ability ability to really reset the system right in some ways to a certain degree I mean this has to go on long enough for us to be able to disrupt that 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 movement yeah. uh, you know if, yeah. if we were to hopefully it back, doesn't disrupt too, too much, <laughs> too much. <laughs> but it has to go long, long enough for us to, to want to change you know or to even be comfortable with, with the change otherwise we'll just go back to where we were so yeah i, I mean there's it been a missed opportunity to to not take this as a learning uh you know education like learning growth for us yeah, and, yeah. and to really understand what we want to see for ourselves okay if that doesn't work before let's let's figure out a new way because now we really have like the producers are going to have the power to 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 do that and the farmers are the one now who has the upper hand right that's interesting i mean you know uh, uh 
I mean, there's there's certainly a lot of speculation about the health of the restaurant industry. Among, I mean, I'm sure you have many friends and colleagues who are in in a high degree of panic right now about you know what the near future holds for them. I mean, not many industries operate on such thin margins as mm -hmm. as a restaurant industry. And speculation is that you know a lot of the the smaller you know uh, more local, more mom and pop you know shops and restaurants are going to are going to go under in the next little while and what's going to survive on the other side are the larger chains i mean vancouver has has you know driven the development of you know the kind of adult contemporary you know chain restaurant in ways that is kind of taking over a lot of uh the middle market um and it would be it would be awful to imagine a, a world where all that all those small places disappeared you know how how in your view are places like that going to be able to survive and thrive in this kind of new economy yeah i think the people who are going to survive are the ones who are more adaptable who 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 had a, a certain level of fortitude you know like have a certain level of identity yeah unfortunately some of us are going to go but mm -hmm. you know um, the one who, I mean, rest, rest, I was a restaurateur at this perverse idea of why they want to open a restaurant or not. It doesn't make sense for a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, like you're spending a million dollar building this restaurant and your margin is barely 7%. So you know, how long does it take to get to regain that? I mean, if you, if you sell a million dollars a year, you know, at 7%, you're getting really $70,000 a year in profit. And how long does it get to? How long does it take to recoup that million dollar that you just drop into the yeah. the bis the business? So yeah, I, I don't think you know a lot of us don't really think that through. I mean, it's, it's a lot of like this idea of instant gratification. You know, we want all the nice things and we want this little space that we can really express our own identity and, and you know to really be validated for the wrong reason. So all those places, I think are going to close unless they, have, they truly have a, a, a big investor who is behind them. Mm. But, you know, really, investors aren't really going to see that any, any longer as they're, you know, every, every, everybody's going to get hit. So I don't know. I think the one who would survive are the one who are more community oriented, the one who, who really service the, the, the people for mm. the right reason, you know, the one who really have integrity and not, you know, like it's always about how do we maintain our resources and, and really be appreciative of the things that we have. So mm. it's not, it's not about being business savvy, but really being, I say more grateful with the things that we have and really uh, holding on to their resources. Well, and I think those restaurants are going to survive. Unfortunately, for the big chain restaurant, I think it's going to hit them too, but I don't know to what extent. Yeah. Um, obviously, they have years and years of profit to, to really uh, carry them through this, this pandemic, but we'll see. I mean, I, again, it comes down really to consumers' power, right? Like who they choose to buy things from and who they choose to, to, to support. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why those restaurants just keeps popping up. And I mean, they must have a lot of support from from Vancouver. I mean, I've never been in a, in a city like this where there is so many chain restaurants that, that's like flourishing, you know, well, like really in, at, a, at a, such an incredible rate. We have Cactus Club, Earl's, Joey's, Brown's. And, you know, you go to any other city, it's, it's all about the, the, 
the independent shop who really contribute to the cultural fabric of the city mm. what, and it makes the city really unique. Yeah. So, I, yeah. It's a do you think, do you think Vancouver has an identity? I mean, it has, it's kind of renowned <laughs> for its restaurant <laughs> industry, but it, just, it doesn't sound like you think. It, um, <laughs> I, I mean, about, yeah, I mean, every city has, has, has a, has a cultural identity. I think Vancouver is also fairly young. Mm-hmm. And the, the the advantage is that there is an opportunity for everybody because there's nothing is quite defined, you know. There's not the, the, the inertia hasn't been really established. So, yeah, I mean, if you have a vision that is unique and and sensible, I think you can make it here. Which mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't happen for a lot of the cities who, who really have a a, a very specific identity you know so it's hard to break into those those kind of uh, market whereas Vancouver is still to me it's still an open market if you're creative if you have energy and you have some money you can make it work for yourself yeah yeah well you've certainly restructured Ubuntu um, quickly and I I, I I would say somewhat successfully from the appearance <laughs> you've got a few lineups outside your door for people so I know can you t- we've been it's been crazy. So when, when this pandemic hit, it was March 15th, I remember that day. I mean, we're still, you know, it, it seems so surreal. I mean, we're still registering our position here and like really digesting what, what's going on. So when, when March 15th hit, all of a sudden we went from, you know, 30 reservation to two reservation and, and we didn't really know what to do. So we kind of sat down. I mean, my first concern was that, oh shit, how, it's not about the business, it's about the people, you know, yeah. it's about my, my staff. So, yeah. can I maintain your wages? How can I keep you fed and how can I keep paying you? Mm. How, how do we reinvent this space, you know? So, we work together and unfortunately, you know, most of my staff are social misfits anyway and, and most, <laughs> a, few, a few of them are, are, are artists themselves. So, we were able to, to formulate uh, a new model fairly quickly and and you know within two days we set up an online store you know within a week we've, we've rearranged our furniture and, and and kind of respond to to what people need and and you know generating a lot of um, creative ideas and also responding to what the, the people want you know and, and yeah, like somebody walked by, like, hey, you guys have flowers? Like, yeah, sure, we can get flowers, we'll pack it up. And then, you know, just providing that needs for the people because there is this sort of like hoarding mentality that during that week where people were just taking and buying everything they, they see on the shelf. So a lot of the basic necessities were, were removed from the conventional grocery store. So yeah. we, just kind of, we just kind of fill in that gap and, and, and stop the frenzy, really. And, and now we've, we've, we've added our <coughs> provision boxes because, you know, a lot of people didn't want to line up in, in, in the grocery store. They couldn't, you know, take the risk of exposing themselves in that regard so they can mm. order everything online and have a certain allocated time to pick up without, uh, let's say, a minimal contact, really, minimal, minimal yeah. out, outdoor interaction. So, yeah, I mean, it's been working out for us so far. And this... You know, also, we don't really know how long this is going to be. So I've been telling all my stuff to really take care of it, you know, our own mental health and not exhaust our, our energy. Because, you know, like, I think the problem with, with, with human is that we're, we're so um, fascinated by the idea of, of change and that we want to be recognized for the change. And, 
and that impetus is actually superseding the the, the intention for the change. So I, I think like we have to be really deliberate about what the changes that we make and and seeing the consequences of that before implementing those changes. So yeah, we've been we've been responding rather than reacting, and I think you know it's it's quite critical in these times because it can be we're not exhausting our, our, our mental capacity to that's uh, very to sustain ourselves you know yeah no that's a very <laughs> astute observation i mean i like the way you're, you're talking about responding rather than reacting i think that's mm -hmm. very intelligent um uh is there is there one thing that you might have learned so far through this last month that yeah i mean one of the biggest thing is is the willingness to let go of your identity. I mean, the, at this point, it doesn't really matter who I construct myself to be, or, or you know, who, what kind of skill set I've, I've acquired the last thirty years of my life. You know, it's about okay, how can I use what I know and establish a new sort of creative, like a, a creative force, in order to function in this situation right now. You know, like really, I mean, all of us have a certain set of tools and. And instead of using that tools for a very specific reason, uh, reason, we can use those tools for other application that you never mm. thought about using. Mm. And 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 yeah, it really allows us to see how capable and how diverse a chef has is. You know, because mm. you know, I don't think there's any job that is quite as taxing mentally and also physically at the, at the same time. It, it, that yeah, I can I can I can only appreciate uh, how, yeah. how labor intensive it is. I mean, I I guess too though. I mean, it's like you're you're in it because of your love for food. I mean, yeah. What what are you making for yourself right now? <laughs> what are you cooking? Is there, do you have a comfort food that uh, you're going to right now? I, I think, no, we don't really have comfort food. I mean, the the beautiful thing is that we. You know, one of the blessings really working in this industry that we all never go hungry. You know, so we've been we've been cooking. I don't know. We we're we're, we're feasting every day. Unfortunately, you know. I mean, not to rub it in, and some other people's circumstances. You know, we're we're roasting chicken. You know, we're actually spending a lot more time eating together in the restaurant, and and really really, you know. Be staying grounded because we have to because we have to feed ourselves in order to sustain ourselves. So that, I mean, that's not particular comfort food. Everybody comes from different backgrounds. They choose to, to cook what they, they feel like eating that day, and they just share that sort of cultural uh, practices. You know, mm -hmm. we have we have a Korean chef, we have a Mexican chef, we have, we have a Russian chef. So we just kind of alternate the, the the duty to feed ourselves. And you know, we in the first couple of weeks we've been bringing. Uh, food that we make to the to the staff who were under quarantine or, or couldn't really afford groceries but all that subsided now because of the, the government stepping in so yeah the yeah. first few weeks really is about you know taking care of the people around us and making yeah. sure everyone's alive and healthy and then see what we can do and see what we can generate from this space so yeah become a grocery store become a wine store become a cheese shop so we're, we're kind of fulfilling the, everything now in the neighborhood. A lot of shops are closed. And I think for me, like I told them, it's a lot easier for me to close and not have to worry about all these moving cars and receive some sort of subsidy. But I think we have a duty to, to, to mm. do, you know, we have an obligation to, mm. 
within this community and within this world. Well, we're certainly lucky to have you in our neighborhood here uh, on the east side. So hopefully we can promote it a little bit more through this and, 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 and let everybody know what you're up to. Um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really nice place to, to end it, Dave. I really, really appreciate the chance to chat with you right now. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to this conversation. We can, uh, we can all try your potato skin ice cream sometime <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah. When we, yeah, one day. <laughs> when well, all this is, is over. <laughs> yeah, when all this is over. But that's interesting. I mean, just as a final thought, I mean, it's like I think you know, ultimately, you're really, you're really at the forefront of trying to 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 think about sustainability in a new way, about using everything that we have coming in our, our door and our pantry to make new things out of. I mean, one of one of my very minor revelations in all of this was like when I was, I was making latkes for my kids the other day, and I realized that here's a recipe that was developed. Uh, you know as a way to make a meal out of a potato and an onion. And it's like, that probably came about at a time of, of you know. Of scarcity, yeah, yeah. Scarcity and austerity, yeah, okay. and, it's, and it's really delicious. So, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. fundamentally, I think it does tie back to your, your, your first comment about understanding our history, understanding the history of food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I love peasant food because I think there's a rich sort of uh, uh, his history behind those dishes and how they came about and, and have, you know, allowing us to see how our forefathers have adapted, you know, their, their practices according to, to the uh, cultural impact of their, of their own time. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, so and then we're just adjusting. And the more we learn about history, the more we have just the more we have the, the capability to adapt to to, to change because we've we we now arm ourselves with, with, with knowledge and Indeed. we can diversify that knowledge yeah Indeed. Yeah. thank you very much dave really appreciate it um yeah. look forward to continuing our conversation yeah i'm looking forward to 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 the exhibition actually <laughs> hopefully we yeah. generate more <laughs> <Me too. laughs> all right Okay. Well, we'll see you down on the street at the Ubuntu soon. Yeah, see you soon. Okay, Thank take you. care. Yeah, bye. bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Polygon podcast. Visit thepolygon.ca to learn more about this episode. This podcast is produced by the Polygon Gallery in North Vancouver, located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations.